Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. We are a huge success, but we're a, a country misguided and led astray by media that aren't honest. So for example, if you watched CNN, you would think that nobody's getting vaccinated and it's a complete disaster and whoa, we're stuck in this rut because no one's vaccinated. It's completely untrue. Over 90% of people over 65 who are the most vulnerable are vaccinated. Now sure, there are a lot of younger people who aren't vaccinated and there's some older people, but 90% is a pretty good success. Over age 50, it's like 75, 80% of people. Another great opportunity to talk about some of the crazy medical tyranny that's going on in our world. You know, we've been doing this for a while now. Somehow it doesn't seem to be getting better. I think we're going to have plenty of material to talk about uh, for the coming future. That's the one upside. The craziness just never ends. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a great clip of Senator Rand Paul on the floor of the Senate uh, that I think is worthwhile listening to. And we can chat a little bit about uh, what Senator Paul has to say. People are informed. They know this is a disease that can affect any age, but affects primarily the older ages. For example, the one truth you won't be told is an 85-year-old has a 10,000 times greater chance of dying than the 10-year-old. Now, you think we should treat them the same? If you were their doctor, do you think a 10-year-old should get the same health care and the same prescriptions for what they need to do as an 85-year-old? Makes no sense at all. I see 10-year-olds, and I see 5-year-olds out on the mall. My wife and I are walking down to the Lincoln Memorial the other day, and I see 5-year-olds in, in groups led by teachers wearing masks outside. There is no science to that. we got Dr. Fauci spreading mistruths across the country, saying we've got to forcibly vaccinate the kids. There's no science behind any of that. In fact, England is rejecting what we're doing. In England, because of the age skew, because of what they're seeing, that the people most at risk are of an older age, they're actually saying, instead of forcibly vaccinating children, why don't we try to make the vaccine doses available for the elderly? Why don't we target our care to those who are at highest risk? Mark, I think Senator Paul, unfortunately, I don't know why he's the only one, at least of elected leaders, that is having the courage to speak out forcefully against it. Uh, I know Senator Paul is a physician. He's a bright guy, has a command of the statistics uh, and the disease. Uh, but I'd like to see other physicians and thought leaders and elected leaders speak out against this. You know, Senator Paul brings up this statistic that an 85-year-old has a 10,000 times greater risk of dying from COVID than a 10-year-old. We never talk about that. We never, ever, ever talk about that. You've used the expression that this is a pandemic of fear more so than it is a pandemic of, of the Wuhan virus. And man, as a psychiatrist, Talk to me. How do, we, how do we fix the fear? If we don't fix the fear, it doesn't matter what's going on with the virus, does it? And how do we fix the fear? I know. I got it. If, let me know if this is a good idea. We hire a whole bunch of crop dusters throughout the United States, and we crop dust Xanax throughout the country. Maybe that'll work. I think they would be completely unafraid, but they would also be ineffectual, and they'd just be 
uh, lying down, staring at the sun and uh, moaning like somebody high on pot when I was in university, <laughs> thinking that they're writing a really, really great essay when it's actually illegible. Uh, but it's a good start. At least they wouldn't be hurting anybody. The one thing that we also aren't hearing about much is that children who are unvaccinated are at less risk of dying from this virus than adults who are vaccinated. Well, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Dr. Fauci has told us, uh, Rochelle Walensky has told us, and our very own President Biden has told us that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And the largest group of unvaccinated are the children. So that, that can't be the case. If only we were to send all of the children from the moment of delivery to age 18 into the vaccination clinics and shoot them up in the arm, perhaps once every couple of months to make sure that the potency of the vaccine doesn't wane, then finally we could end this pandemic. That's what we're being promised and that's what we're being told. You know, Dr. Cariardi, he, uh, he wrote this article, this was several months ago. He talked about the university vaccine mandates that violates medical ethics. And here's what he said. Children can be a significant medical risk from the illnesses that we vaccinate them against, particularly when community vaccination rates are low. So, of course, he's talking about measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, etc. But not so with COVID. For those under 30, the risk of serious morbidity and mortality is close to zero. So on what planet does it make sense to vaccinate a child that has close to a zero risk of mortality and morbidity. Mortality, of course, means you die. Morbidity would be an, an injury or an illness that affects them, maybe even that they get hospitalized for. A zero risk, but we're going to vaccinate them with an investigational vaccine that has no long-term studies, zero long-term studies, these are kids that are still developing. Their brain is uh, developing. Their reproductive organs are developing. Their immune system is developing. And we're going to inject them with an experimental vaccine using brand new technology. We've never used messenger RNA technology in vaccines before. Maybe it's going to turn out to be a great thing. But why do we want to risk that in a child with low risk, such low risk that it's almost incalculable how low their risk is. But that's the message that Dr. Fauci and company is putting out, that in order to get through this pandemic, we must vaccinate children. And Pfizer is now experimenting as, as low as six months of age now for the COVID-19 vaccine. We have a problem in our country. We have people who have so politicized science that there are people struggling and dying every day because they've never heard about monoclonal antibodies. We have people dying every day because the government, at the behest of Dr. Fauci and a few other people, have said you can't get monoclonal antibodies if you're in the hospital. I talk to people every day who really have not yet heard of monoclonal antibodies, who get COVID again after being fully vaccinated or sometimes not being vaccinated and are not getting the treatment. Because Dr. Fauci says if you're in the hospital, you don't get it. And so we have medicine that is coming from on high from a central authority like the Politburo and doctors are afraid to prescribe. This has never happened in our country before. Doctors were able to make their own decisions based on their own experience, based on studies, 
based on real life examples, but using their own discretion. There, there's got to be, there's got to be a psychological reason. There's got to be a path forward for this country away from this notion that the vaccine is the answer. The vaccine is the answer, as opposed to all the other things that we can do, such as natural immunity, early treatment, Regeneron treatment that should be more widely available, not to mention simply boosting your vitamin D level, taking some basic supplements, treating underlying conditions. Where, where, the, heck is, where the heck is that messaging? I thought it Dr. Fauci was a doctor. The only way that you can make sense of this is if the motivation is actually about control. There is no other answer. For the last 18 months, we've been told that early treatment is not only non-existent, but that if and when and where it exists, it's going to be harming people. But that message suddenly changed last week when we received this announcement that Merck is going to be soon approved to distributing a daily COVID pill that is going to be so perfectly effective that it's going to essentially cure this infection. It's going to remove it from our, our entire nation. Why is that treatment, which costs $712 per course to the taxpayer, at a actual production and manufacturing cost estimated to be less than $20, suddenly the end-all be-all and early treatment is now the solution to the pandemic, when up until last week it was of the devil. The only explanation, once again, is that there's some form of corruption involved that has nothing to do with medicine or science that leads to repositioning money and power and control in the hands and pockets of others which are not the citizens of this country. Yeah, it's an it's insane and we've been pushing for early treatment and we have early treatment that is very very effective and inexpensive. We of course interviewed Dr. Brian Tyson who has treated over 6,000 patients, maybe the most covid patients of any physician in the country. And he's got a record of 100% success if he's able to get to them before seven days. So we know early treatment works, but only now when we have a pharmaceutical branded product, do we start talking about early treatment. You know, let me tell you this story. I've got a patient, actually a very prominent figure, and uh, he's got COVID. And he went over to USC a um, couple days into his COVID to get Regeneron. And they put the little pulse ox uh, uh, meter on his finger. That's the oxygen measuring device on his finger to see what his oxygen level was. And it was about 92%. And they said, we're really sorry, but our criteria is if you're below 95%, we're not going to give you Regeneron. And instead, what they offered him is to be admitted to the hospital for remdesivir. Well, uh, this person's wife uh, is a avid uh, researcher and a very, very bright lady. And she said, oh, hell no, you're not admitting him and giving him remdesivir. And so what they ended up needing to do is they had to drive all the way from uh, the San Fernando Valley area to Orange County to get Regeneron. 
And we know Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida, has basically made Regeneron available everywhere in the state for the asking, without criteria, with no preconceived notion that some should get it and some shouldn't. And we should be doing the same here because the stuff works. So, so a patient has to drive an hour and a half to a clinic in Orange County to get Regeneron, and thank God he's doing fine now. Uh, but that just shouldn't happen. I have another patient, goes to school at UC Berkeley, and parents were up uh, this past weekend visiting, and one of the parents got ill with COVID, went out, got tested, and had COVID. And we could not find a single pharmacy up in Berkeley that would prescribe, rather, that would dispense ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, not a single pharmacy. So she had to barter and and beg and just about steal. She had a friend up there in the area that had a supply of it and was able to give it to her. And now she's calling around trying to find Regeneron as well. It's ridiculous what we've done. We know what works. We know how to treat this illness. It's not rocket science. It's actually very easy to do. It doesn't really take any special skill to treat this illness. Some basic understanding of the pathophysiology of this virus. Um, and it's very easy to do. We should be educating every physician in the country on how to treat this. We should have early treatment and Regeneron available everywhere in the United States of America. We don't need an expensive pharmaceutical product. Now I'm all for multiple drugs that we have available in our toolkit. I think that's fantastic. But we've been denying people of early treatment, literally denying people early treatment. We've talked in another episode about my nurse, Stephanie, who is a Kaiser reject, apparently. She refused to be vaccinated, a 17-year veteran at Kaiser. And my good luck, um, I got to hire her. And Kaiser is one of those institutions that refuses to allow their physicians to prescribe and the Kaiser pharmacies refuses to dispense ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Um, Listen, I I hope there's a, I don't know what the right word is, but a COVID trial when all is said and done to look back at some of the behavior of these major chain pharmacies, of these major medical institutions such as Kaiser, of uh, the leaders federally of our healthcare agencies such as Dr. Fauci, I have never heard Dr. Fauci talk about early treatment. I have never heard Dr. Fauci talk about the importance of measuring and supplementing with vitamin D or anything else. I've never heard Dr. Fauci talk about the importance of treating underlying conditions so people are at lower risk of COVID. It's a crime what he's doing, pushing the vaccine. Now he'll be pushing this new pharmaceutical product. Um, it's, a, it's a crime, and as a result, Patients unnecessarily are dying. Sorry about that rant, but I'm really upset about this because I treat patients daily and my hands are often tied. I have to work twice as hard as I otherwise would to get treatment to my patients. And when I'm able to do that, treatment works. Just last week, a study was published showing that basic aspirin, aspirin reduced mortality by 50% in patients that became infected with this virus. The same day the FDA made an announcement, Americans should no longer be using aspirin. 
I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I thought it was actually some sort of satirical Babylon Bee announcement. It was actually a formal pronouncement from the FDA the exact same day. We're getting to the point now where if it were found that, that drinking additional water helped to cure disease, the FDA would say everyone should just stop drinking water. It, it's gotten to the, the, that point of ridiculousness. Yeah, it really has. And I know you and other doctors are working on um, kind of alternatives, parallel medical systems, uh, free, medical freedom uh, clinics and systems that will allow patients to bypass some of the mainstream healthcare institutions and get cared for in places where we don't discriminate, where we allow pregnant women that are unvaccinated to deliver, where we allow uh, family members to visit their loved ones in the hospital, irrespective of their vaccine status, where we allow somebody to go in to get a mammogram annually, regardless of whether they're vaccinated and certainly if they have natural immunity, where we stop this medical discrimination and this medical apartheid. It's unbelievable to me that I hear some doctors talk this way, that I will not treat a patient that isn't vaccinated regardless of their natural immunity status. We've never done this before. As a matter of fact, during the AIDS crisis, there was a lot of criticism about doctors being concerned about contracting AIDS. But we've never done this before. Imagine getting into a car crash and they said, you know, the police report says that you weren't wearing your seatbelt, therefore I'm not going to treat you. Or a drunk driver, God forbid, is is refused treatment because some doctor doesn't like the fact that this person was drinking. We've never done this before in healthcare in the United States, and I just don't understand why we're, why we're doing this now with a respiratory viral infection that's nothing special, that's easy to treat, but we're discriminating patients that have differences of opinion. But if you're a collectivist and you believe that from the very top down, all medical decisions come from Dr. Fauci, and if he doesn't want you to fly, you don't get to fly him. See, it's different from individual liberty because I think if you have a differing opinion, you're welcome to your opinion. And if an airline has a policy I don't like, maybe I'd choose not to fly. But the idea that we're going to restrict everyone's behavior based on what they decide to do, what's next? People eat too many cheeseburgers. We're not going to give them a heart stent because we, we think they haven't behaved and they haven't listened to the doctors on what they should be eating. There is no end to this. I saw a cartoon yesterday that had a picture of Rod Serling and he said, imagine a time when you have a 99.97% chance of not crapping your pants and you're forced <laughs> to wear a diaper. Now imagine that you're forced to wear a diaper so that everyone else doesn't crap in their pants. <laughs> well, it's basically the situation right now. Now, doctor, are you pushing Depends? <laughs> Do you have stock in the Depends company? <clears throat> yeah, no comment. Yeah, no comment. So here we are, you know, uh, trying to figure out a path forward. And uh, I just, I don't unfortunately see, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. You know, COVID numbers are dropping everywhere. The death from COVID is dropping everywhere. Uh, vaccine mandates are escalating everywhere. Um, the airlines, thank God, are pushing back with Southwest Airlines um, uh, Pilots Association. Uh, calling in sick or doing whatever they're doing with cancellations. And thank goodness that they're having the courage to, to speak out. There's a lot of people that are courageously making a decision to lose their job, uh, like Stephanie did, uh, like the uh, a doctor that we interviewed earlier, 
like Dr. Rake out of UCLA and others. And if I think if a, I think the path forward ultimately is enough people have to be willing to sacrifice to stand up against tyranny, um, or we're we're never going to get out of it. If we give in to tyranny, more tyranny will come. You know, we we really we really get what we tolerate. And the American population is tolerating a lot right now. And I don't know when people are going to start rioting in the street or protesting in the street like they are in other countries. You know, since since when does France lead the United States in protest for liberty? Um, it's unheard of that the American people are not rallying to the cry of liberty. And I think part of the reason why we aren't seeing this happen, and you can speak to this probably better than I can, is because over the last year and a half, the media and the unelected healthcare bureaucrats has scared the shit out of people throughout the country. That fear is real, it's palpable, and it's affecting behavior. Well, we were at at a... uh a grocery store earlier today that does not require masks and the grocery store manager came out and said thank you for not wearing a mask and I said well thank you for allowing us and I said how has it been what's it like here at the store where you don't require people to wear masks and he said well I get attacked every single day from people saying you're allowing people in without a mask I'm going to turn you into the health department and I said, well, what's keeping you from just reversing your policy and saying you're just going to follow the mandates? And he said, well, I think that if I don't fight back, if I don't stand up for what I believe in and risk something now, risk a, an OSHA investigation or a fine, that eventually I'm going to lose my store, I'm going to lose my home, I'm going to lose everything that matters to me. So I'm willing to fight now for something relatively small so that I don't lose everything later on. We need more people like that. Those are the people that are going to win this battle for us. We need bigger numbers of regular citizens standing up against the authorities. The government itself cannot win this battle if the people are united against it. Yeah, no doubt. What was the store that you walked into? It was actually a grocery store, a market in the city of Ojai, which is a tiny little town just north of Ventura and south of Santa Barbara, a few miles east of the Pacific Ocean, uh, which is um, just a little retirement community in a town with uh, horses and some wealthy Los Angelinos that come to spend $600 nights at fancy spas, uh, and a bunch of locals who are just living their lives. So it's an interesting little mixture of uh, different types of people it's not a central urban area like downtown L.A. or New York or San Francisco. So I was very curious to see what the attitudes would be. And he said, you know, uh, even out here, even out in the, in the middle of the country, we still have a small number of very loud, vocal, nasty, angry people that really want to intimidate everyone else into complying with these irrational and destructive mandates. And I am not going to tolerate it. I have put my foot down. I'm ready to lose everything for it. That's what he said. Yeah, good for him. I wish more people did that. Uh, we went out to dinner recently at um, Basilico's in Huntington Beach, and that's the Italian restaurant owned by Tony Roman, who famously, during the early stages of the pandemic, uh, put up a sign that said, uh, masks not allowed. And he had a big billboard in L.A. to piss everybody off. 
and the billboard said, uh, leave your mask, take the cannoli, play off the Godfather. And uh, of course, OSHA went after him. Uh, the alcohol, uh, ABC, alcohol, beverage, control, whatever they're called, went after him. And, uh, and Tony said, uh, you know, stop threatening to take me to court. Take me to court. I want my day in court. I want to argue this in front of a jury who will never convict me because what you guys are doing is illegal, unconstitutional, and I just won't stand for it. And most recently, he has a sign-up that says, your unvaccinated status will be required. Now, he means this, of course, tongue-in-cheek, but his point is that this is America. Don't go to his restaurant if you don't like what his policies are. You have that right, and he should have that right as a proprietor of a restaurant to set the policies and to set the rules under which a consumer can use his, uh, his, uh, uh, st- his restaurant. And, and by the way, it's very good food, and he makes fantastic cannolis. And uh, so, listen, almost every night of the week, he's busy, busier than he's ever been before, because people want to support patriots. And you go there, and it's almost like a patriot rally. People talking to, to each other, cross the table, patriotic shirts on. I had a shirt on that said, um, uh, this was just the other night, uh, it said, uh, come and make me. And it was a picture of a, like a vaccine syringe. Um, and somebody across, he says, wow, where'd you get that shirt? Where can I get one? Thanks for wearing that. Uh, I bumped into a chiropractor friend of mine at the restaurant. He's got a shirt on that says, uh, uh, COVID is a scam. You know, so things like that. And since when in America don't we value differences of opinion? Since when in America don't we welcome free speech, even when the speech is different than what, what we believe in? I've never seen anything like this. I mean, you've experienced this before. Um, your Twitter account was taken down. And by the way, you're back up and running. Welcome back. I was super excited to see that Dr. McDonald was back up on Twitter. So that was awesome. Let's go, Brandon. <clears throat> yeah, exactly right. And one of our uh, one of our podcasts, I can't remember which one that I posted on Facebook, got banned. And I got one of those stupid reports from, uh, it was Dr. Tyson that we were talking to. And I got one of those stupid reports from Facebook that said, you're spreading misinformation and this, that, and the other. Your post has been removed. And if you do it again, we're going to take your birthday away and you're going to be banned from Facebook. You know, what a threat. I can't invite friends to my Facebook account because of that lapse. Yeah. Trying to upload Dr. Brian Tyson's podcast resulted in my capacity to make friends. You know, when I listen to me by Facebook. Uh, and I listened to Brian's uh, uh, appearance on our podcast. I listened to it again. What the heck did he say that was so controversial? He said, I listen, save lives I'm, by treating them early. That's basically what he said. That's what he said. 6,000 patients. We talked about protocol. We talked about his experience. We talked about the fact that he can no longer get Regeneron because, thank you, uh, President Biden, the federal government is now in charge of the distribution of Regeneron. Oh, what could possibly go wrong with that? The Regeneron rollout was working perfectly smoothly. And of course, as we all know, um, Governor DeSantis, uh, understandably, because the 
uh, sciences there said, you know, this is some really good stuff and I need to make it available to as many people. So we're going to we're going to use the uh, instruments of the state to roll this stuff out as far and as wide as we possibly can. Shortly thereafter, the federal government gets involved. They're pissed off that a red state is is uh, is using uh, Regeneron and 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 crop dusting it basically. And now the federal government is involved in the distribution of Regeneron. And guess what? Now there's a shortage. Who would have who would have thunk that? So you know Tyson's doing his thing out in El Centro, and he's treating patients and saving lives. You and I are trying to do the same, but it's a it's a chronic uphill battle. And unfortunately, the healthcare agencies that are supposed to be responsible for having the back of the American people guiding us through difficult times are doing just the opposite. How much do you want to bet you and I and Tyson and, and, and all of our colleagues would would shift from denigration to veneration if we were to start dispensing the $712 per course Merck COVID pill? Oh, you can bet. You know, and, and interestingly, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure if, if we've talked about this before, but, you know, a doctor is not allowed, a, a private doctor is not allowed to carry the vaccine in their office. That's on right. The one, on the one hand, the government tells us they want everybody and their mother vaccinated, including children. Most children get their childhood vaccinations through primary care, their pediatrician. But the COVID-19 vaccine is not allowed to be distributed in uh, in private offices. Why is that? Why the heck is that? What's going on? There's something nefarious going on here. It's not about the science anymore. People keep telling me it's about the science. The science shows this, that, and the other. It's never been about the science. This is about the politics, the power, the control. There's something more nefarious going on than just simply a Wuhan Chinese virus that has infected the world. I have suspected from the very beginning, because of the irrationality, because of the psychological coercion and the financial incentives that have been perversely, in my view, motivating a lot of the decision making from the federal down to the local level, that the underlying problem or the challenge that we're facing really isn't medical at all, that, that this is really just subterfuge that is going to be used as a vehicle to engage in the greatest national, federal, coordinated control campaign in our nation's history. And we're just seeing the beginning of it. If we think this is bad, just wait for a year or two down the road when everybody's got a QR code on their phone for every biometric data marker available. This is just the beginning. If we don't nip this in the bud, we really will become like a Chinese surf state. Oh, no question, Mark. And um, listen, I want to I tease something up for the next episode um, or a few episodes in a few weeks. You've got a book coming out. And I do. You shared the manuscript with me today, and I could not put it down. I read it from cover to cover, and it's a wonderful book. Can I share my favorite quote? I texted it to you. Uh, to get yes. people a little bit of a taste of, what it, of what's coming. Here's a quote from Mark's book that I thought was fantastic. And I'm quoting, Karens have become psychotic enforcers of the arbitrary rules imposed upon the population by unelected bureaucrats 
and unaccountable politicians. Close quote. This is a wonderful book. Uh, if you like Dr. McDonald on this podcast, because he's a, a brilliant thinker, and most importantly, you have great clarity, you're going to want to get this book and buy 10 copies for all your friends, especially those Karen friends that live next door or down the street, and I just anonymously put it on their doorstep. So I can't wait until this thing comes out. I can't wait till you tell us we can pre-order the thing on Amazon. I'd love to see that hit uh, some bestseller list and, and you make the, the, the talk radio circuit and get back on Tucker. Maybe this time you'll wear a tie uh, to promote that book. Don't bet on it, Jeff. <laughs> but I am betting on the book coming out very soon, hopefully by the first or second week of November. That's the target date. Awesome. So we'll wrap this up, Mark. Thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, again, a wonderful episode of informeddissentmedia.com on all the uh, podcast platforms, including Spotify. And uh, we will bring you a, another episode soon. But in the end, if we're not careful, we're going to spend this country into oblivion. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.